Coming up in this episode of The Wheelhouse, turning the blue bucket purple. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler, CEO of Students Matter, and this is The Wheelhouse. In this season of our podcast, we'll mix interviews and conversations with in-depth thinking around our three foundational components of our framework, accomplishment-driven leadership, superior instruction, and powerful student care. You know, we believe it's our priority as educators to prove to each student how incredibly distinctive and irreplaceable his or her life is. Together, let's continue to step up to this incredibly important challenge and add additional tools and skills right into our wheelhouse. Hello and welcome to episode 211. I'll bet you're just eager to know what this title, Turning the Blue Bucket Purple, uh, really means. And so this particular episode has kind of been ruminating for you know probably the last week. So here we are, it's the middle of May, Spring has finally arrived in my neck of the woods, and summer is you know, very close to, to making her entrance. Um, and this, so I was in a district last week, and we were talking about professional learning. And you know, in this particular district, which is a client district of mine, we do professional learning very differently. And um one of the ways that we do that professional learning is that uh, we use an online platform uh, from the online academy, and we uh, we drip very small increments of learning once a month. And the the platform calls that a drip, or we call that a, an installment. And we were thinking about the conversation that we were having with the leadership team in that district was about this idea of how do we approach these drips of learning? And that superintendent is incredibly bright. And, you know, and she, she made this image uh, of, of a bucket. And I'm so moved by this image that that I have my graphic designer um, already at work creating this series of images to go with this because I think it's just really, really powerful. And so she said, you know, how do we take this new drip of learning and add it to our bucket and then spend the month stirring that bucket and thinking about that new learning rather than just once a month engaging with the learning and then leaving until the next month. And I thought that was absolutely genius. And it plays into the, you know, the, the content for this episode this week. And so I was thinking about that as I was trying to describe to my graphic designers, like, what does this really look like? And, um, and and I am not an artist, but I'm married to one. And so this was the information that I got uh, about the, some color and some color theory. And so when I envisioned what, what this superintendent said, 
about how do we add it to the bucket and spend the month stirring it up rather than learning something new and then leaving it. So I think about starting out with this blue bucket, right? This blue bucket of uh, our knowledge. So here's what we know. And so we have this clear, clear bucket and we see this blue paint inside that bucket, right? Whatever shade of blue you love. And then, and that's our current knowledge. That's what we know about a particular, uh, particular subject. And then we're going to add some new learning to that. And we're going to add red to that bucket. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can go about doing that, right? We can pour the red in and let it sink to the bottom. And it would probably create a few streaks of, I have no idea what color, um, as it falls to the bottom. And for the most part, that blue bucket remains blue. And then there is the idea, which I think what is what this superintendent was really thinking about, which was take that blue bucket, add some red to it. Now let's ruminate and think about and stir that around in our heads for a while. And so I want you to envision taking that red paint that, that we pour into that blue bucket and we stir it and stir it and stir it until now what we know is different and the bucket is purple. And the beauty of this image is that once you add red to blue and it creates that whatever shade of purple it creates based on how much red you put in there, you can't take the red back out. And so the bucket now always stays is some degree, some shade of purple. So when I think about that for professional learning, I think that's incredibly profound about how do we take monthly drips or installments of learning in, in tiny little pieces because teachers and leaders are busy and how do we help them stir that bucket so that that, bu that bucket goes from blue to purple. And the more I thought about that over the week, the more I thought about the fact that, you know, that could really, really also help us think about this idea of change, this dirty six-letter word called change, and that that bucket image is really important to how we think about supporting both the work, the organization's work, and the people within the organization, both of which have to endure some degree of change in order for the organization to get where it really wants to go. And, you know, we're talking about districts here in this particular podcast. And so then you start to think about first order change and, and second order change, which is not new research, right? But if we, you, as, you, as we think about that and we think about first order change, a lot of first order change is short-lived. It's transient and it's passing and you can undo that first order change, right? Because it's like adding a different shade of blue 
to the bucket, right? You can, for example, change class size and you can revert class size back to what they were before. And that is a first order change compared to second order change, which is irreversible, right? It's stable, it's permanent, it's purple. And so again, when you think about change, and you think about really impactful professional learning, right? So whether you, depending on which avenue you want to think about, right? It's much harder to make a purple bucket blue. And in fact, it's impossible, I'm told, from an artistic standpoint. And so when we really do significant change within our districts and within our organizations, we'll know that those changes are second order when they become difficult to undo. Now let's think about that. Uh, as I was doing some work to prepare for this particular conversation, I was looking at um, uh, a website called Coaching Leaders out of the, the United Kingdom. And they described, and I'm going to quote, uh, first order change and second order change because they use some words that I love, right? First order change works with an existing structure and view of the world. You could view it as tinkering, that's the word I love, tinkering with the system doing more or less of something, making an existing process better or more accurate, and making incremental change. What When you're doing first-order change, your values remain the same. Versus second-order change, again, quoting from coaching leaders from, from the United Kingdom, it's often described as transformational, revolutionary, radical, here's the word I love, disruptive or discontinuous. And when we are involved in second-order change, it requires us to challenge our assumptions, to see the world in a different way, and to work from a new and different perspective. So now let's think about this whole idea of change from some hot topics that everybody talks about, right? So let's think about this from the COVID perspective for a moment, because I think that what we're learning from the COVID perspective could be both first order and second order change, right? And so we've learned that we can do school differently for students and families who we need to do that differently because of the the potential of, of COVID infection. It's radically different. It's disruptive. But what happens when the pandemic is over? If we return to school as it was before, right, everybody back into classrooms, and I'm not making a comment about whether that's good or bad, then that becomes a, an example of first-order change because it was short-lived and passing. Now, if we think about some of the lessons learned from 
our work within the global pandemic, right, in teaching and running schools and, and districts, then some of what we've learned we may take with us as we move forward, and those become elements of second-order change because they are irreversible, stable, and permanent. So the reason that this is such an interesting topic, of course, for me at least this week, is because we've been grappling in some of my client districts with this whole idea of how do we get people ready for change, right? To fundamentally do school very differently in an irreversible, stable, permanent way rather than as a series of short-lived, transient, passing initiatives. But let's think about some of those for a moment, because I think that the distinction between the two becomes really interesting. Let's talk about one that makes everybody crazy. Let's talk about class size. Right, and we know that there is there's a lot of movement out in the world to reduce class size. Right, that if we would just reduce class size, that student learning, student success would go up. Well, let let's think about that. The research on class size is pretty nondescript. In fact, what it says in many cases is that class size is almost irrelevant. Now, of course, you could put that all into perspective, right? If <laughs> I remember in a district where I was a teacher, where we our contractual limits for class size was 37. Now, you it, obviously, we're talking about two different things. When we're talking about a class of 37, which was horrifically large, it was too big for even the physical space that I had in my classroom versus a class size reduction of 27 to 22, right? I mean, those are very, very different class size reductions, right? 37 is a beast. and But just this idea alone of reducing the number of students in a classroom, and that is going to somehow increase student learning. So in a district that I used to be employed in, we got a federal grant to reduce class size, K, I believe it was K2. And we went from 20 or 21 to, uh, I believe it was 17 or 18, a fundamental shift in class size for, for the littlest learners in the district. Student learning was stagnant because the only change that was made was a first order passing transient change, which was simply to reduce the number of students from whatever the number was to whatever the number ended up being, which was significantly under the number 20. And yet, on the other hand, what we really want to think about is class reducing class size can be effective Absolutely, when it's coupled with second-order change, changes in beliefs, changes in worldview. So let's go back to the class size example for a minute and think about that. If I want to support a class size reduction and I want it to be effective, 
right? And I want to go from 25 to 18. Then the reason that I want to go from 25 to 18 in order to really realize second order change is I got to change some other beliefs. I've got to move away from whole group instruction. I have to move away from uh, the idea of looking at the class as a whole and now start to look at the class as a makeup of 18 individual human beings with very different needs. And if I'm going to build significant, meaningful, engaging human relationships with 18 students, and I'm going to provide instruction and support, which is aligned to the individual needs of each of those 18 students, then I've now made a second order change. And the research and the, and the, and the data tells us that we're going to be much more successful in a class size reduction when it is coupled with second order, significant, transformative, disrupting change. So how do we get organizations ready for the disruption when there are two different ways of looking at change, right? There is the the work of the organization, the work of the district, right? Putting in a system or putting in a particular focus, right? Like class size reduction as an example, right? And then there's the work of the individual because in order to really significantly change an organization, not only does the work have to be done differently, but the individuals within that organization must also change. And so there's a, a, a fantastic model from ProSci out of Fort Collins, Colorado called ADCAR, right? And it's about how we support individual change, awareness of the need and requirement for change, desire to bring and be a part of change, knowledge, and I would say skill and professional learning of how to drive that change, the ability, again, professional learning and skill to incorporate the change on a regular basis and the reinforcement of that change to keep it implemented and reinforced on into the future. And this has been particularly interesting for me because, again, in some client districts recently, we've begun asking students a few questions about their experiences in school. And we wanted to know things like, um, what do they tell us about feeling safe? What do they tell us about feeling valued? What do they tell us about their relationships with their peers? What do they tell us about their relationships with us, the adults? What do they tell us about how they feel about learning in school? And when we ask them these questions, we have to be prepared for their answers. And one of the answers that they told us was in, uh, in one of the districts in particular was that 
the relationships between peers were troubling, right? That there were significant, they, the students that were surveyed identified significant issues around the level of which students care and respect each other. How do we get adults to recognize then that need for second order change? Because a first order change isn't going to bring about the changes necessary that are permanent and stable to respond effectively to what children are telling us. So let's think about that fundamental change for a moment. One of the things that we've been talking about within this district and the district has been doing is uh, social and emotional learning. We've really been thinking about the relationship between social emotional learning and academic learning. Now let's think about this from the first order change mode right? So I'm not necessarily changing beliefs, not necessarily changing assumptions or, or opinions or values. I'm simply tinkering with the system. And so, okay, a pretty easy tinker, right, would be to incorporate block of time within the, org within the schedule of the day to teach social-emotional learning. And so we could ease adults into, into that work. We could, there are all sorts of programs and phenomenal things that are available as, in terms of resources for, for teachers. And there's some great work being done in this district and districts across the country who are incorporating and beginning this conversation around social and emotional learning. And of course the pandemic accelerated some of that, but you know, we can see that even without the pandemic districts were starting to really understand and, and begin to understand the role of social emotional learning. And they were tinkering with what we typically are doing within the school day and thinking about how do we do that. And we, you know, in, in a lot of times when we think about adding something that we need to teach, we think about it in the terms of a block of time. And so we tinkered with the, with the schedule and we created a block of time. Now I'm not saying that that is bad. I'm not certainly not saying that good things can't come out of it, but what the question I would ask is, are we going to really significantly change beliefs and worldview, assumptions, and is that really going to be a disrupting in a good way, right? Disrupting is a, is a good word to what it is that we're trying to do. Or do we really need to think about this whole idea of teaching children social skills that they need and emotional regulation skills that they need to develop stronger, better, more respectful, more caring, more genuine relationships, not only with their peers, but with adults, with family members and people on into the future. And that does that require second order change, right? And so 
how do we think about changing what we see as content? So one way to do that would be to think about the fact. So I'm going to offer this from a math perspective, right? So what happens if we embed social and emotional skills and learning into the academic program where we teach math because we're teaching math also means that we're teaching kids and you can't adequately prepare kids for their future without embedding and building strong social and emotional skills into their toolkit. And so that change in belief changes our definition of what algebra means, just as an example pulled out of my hat, to something beyond just the tested subject and beyond just the state's mandatory assessment to something very fundamentally different because it incorporates the academic content that we think of in terms of algebra with the human content, right? And those human aspects of who is sitting in our classrooms and who needs to develop strong social and emotional skills in order to add that to their toolkit. So this idea of change, right, we really need to fundamentally look at from two sides to the work, right? The work of the organization and the work of the individual. So let's get off the initiative train and start making our buckets purple. And that wraps up another episode of The Wheelhouse. If you have something you'd like to share or a teaching or leadership problem you'd like to see us address, drop us a line at onlineacademy at ourstudentsmatter.org and we'll add that to our lineup. Together, our goal is to continuously expand our own leadership and instructional expertise and to prove to each student that his or her life is of immense and irreplaceable value. This is hard work but it is the noblest of all professions. Until next time, remember, we can do this.